It's great to see all of you here this morning. It's great to be in this place. It's great to be able to sing to our God. Never once have you ever let me go. Um, and that's just sing out that he is faithful to us because he is a faithful God. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Billy Graham tells a story. It's a true story. Um, he met a pastor years ago in Scotland when he was visiting there, and this pastor told him a story. This pastor said, one day, um, my church came together, and there was a lady who was not with us. And, and we know the lady well. She's elderly. And, uh, and we know that she doesn't have that much money. And we know that she was struggling to pay the bills. She, she couldn't pay uh, even sometimes to have a meal. She didn't know where her next meal was, was coming from. And uh, he said, so we took up an offering that day. And, and, and I went to go to her apartment to take it to her. And I knocked on the door. And I thought I heard something inside, but nobody came to the door. And he said, I knocked and I knocked and I knocked for a long time and nobody came to the door. And I was almost sure that somebody was in there, but they would not come to the door. He said, so I went away and thought, you know what, I'll come back later. Um, he said, I'll check on her a little bit later, make sure she's okay. Well, um, it wasn't too much later that he was walking down the street and he saw the lady coming towards him and he said, hey, he said, I came to your door earlier to, uh, to bring you a gift and, um, and, and nobody answered. And she said, oh, that was you? I didn't know that was you. I thought that was the landowner coming to collect rent, so I didn't answer the door. And, and he said, no, I have a gift that, that I want to give you from, from the church. Now, I, I heard that story sometime back and I thought about this book of Ephesians. And I thought about oftentimes how we approach, uh, we'll just call it the riches of Christ. And I thought about the fact that, you know what, we have everything that we need for life, everything that we need for a godly life right in front of us. And oftentimes we fail to open the door because we're afraid of what might be on the other side. This lady was afraid to open the door because the landowner might be on the other side and, and he may kick her out because she can't pay her rent. In reality, it wasn't the landowner. It was the pastor of this church saying, I want to give you blessings, riches. We could call it that. You know, we're approaching this um, the study in the book of Ephesians, and one of the things that we are going to find in this book is the riches of Christ and the beauty of being in Christ. We're going to talk more about that idea of in Christ here in just a few moments. You know, oftentimes, I, I really believe that as believers, as, as humans in general, we are afraid to open the door to the riches of Christ because we don't know what might be on the other side. It's, 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 un, it's uncertain. It, it's maybe not uncertain, but it's, um, it's a little bit confusing or maybe even we're filled with fear because of, of what might be there. But listen, what if I was to tell you that on the other side of that door could be the answer to saving your marriage? Or what if I was to tell you that on the other side of that door could be hope where in the past all you have seen is despair? What if what's on the other side of that door is the answer to a spiritual problem or question that you've been wrestling with? And it's right there on the other side of that door. Just waiting for you to open the door and embrace it. Y'all, here's the deal. The riches of Christ are available to us. They're there for the taking, but we have to reach out and take them. And that's what we're going to seek to do here in our study of Ephesians. In Ephesians, we're going to open up and we're going to find a wealth of both information, but also a wealth of just understanding about God. 
And all it's going to take for us to do is to reach out and accept it and, and, and take it. So here in just a moment, we're going to jump in with verse 1 and start reading and, and studying through verse by verse all the way through Ephesians. We'll get through the first two verses today out of 120-some, if I remember. Maybe, yeah, it's 120-some verses. But there's a lot we're going to find from those two verses. What we want to do is just open our time in prayer here, and then we will jump in. Our Father, as we come to you, uh, we know that in your word contains, in your word is life. And Father, it's the answers to many of life's questions and many of life's problems. Father, I pray that we approach our time here this morning and our approach in this series in Ephesians as a whole in such a way, Father, that we are reaching out to embrace the riches that come in Christ. Father, knowing that monetary gain is probably not going to happen. Oh, but Father, what is vastly more important than monetary gain is the ability to draw close to you, close to your heart, to be right in the center of your will, and that's where we want to be. So Father, guide our time here together this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and I hope that you've been working to memorize the book of Ephesians. If you haven't, it's okay. Plug in there and, and memorize maybe a verse, all right? But here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's how it starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you said that along with me in your head? Because you memorized it this week. Great job. I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, and uh, I am, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm excited about memorizing Ephesians, but it's hard. It's really hard. It's okay, though. We're going to trudge this thing together. Listen, my goal for this sermon this morning is to really break down three doctrinal principles. And here they are. Number one, we're going to break down the idea of in, or, or excuse me, the saints. All right, the saints. The saints who are in Ephesus, but the saints who are at Salem Baptist Church. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about grace and peace. What does that mean? And then we're going to talk about the idea of in Christ. All right, so those are the three doctrinal principles we're going to break apart today. Now, I use that word doctrine there, and before I go any further, I want to explain what that means, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about doctrine out of this book. Doctrine is a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church, political party, or group. All right, so, so doctrine fleshes out in a practical way what we believe about God, all right? It's different from theology. Oftentimes we kind of mold those two things together and, and we, we shouldn't. Theology is the study of the nature of God, okay? Doctrine is how we practically live out our understanding of God. So very practically on a day-to-day -day basis, what does it look like for us to know that God is great, to know that God is, is who he is, all right? So that's, that's doctrine. Um, so in this study, we're going to learn, uh, we're going to learn doctrine. Um, for example, we're going to talk over the next several months about the doctrine of predestination. We're going to talk about the doctrine of sin. We're going to talk about the doctrine of in Christ and, and so many other doctrines. What does it look like for us to practically live out what we believe about God? Now, specifically today, like I said, three doctrines. One, the saints. Two, grace and peace. And then three, in Christ. Now, starting there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. We're going to start there and we're going to move to verse 2 here in just a couple of moments. Paul is an apostle, it says there. Paul, an apostle. Now, an apostle is a messenger. 
a messenger from God. Now, in the Old Testament, you had the prophets, okay? They received revelation from God that they gave it to other people. Whoever God sent them to, they gave that revelation to those people. We don't have prophets in the New Testament. We have apostles. The apostles receive revelation from God that then they give it out to other people. They are a messenger. Um, I want you to look at and think about um, Galatians 1, 11 through 12 with me, okay? Here's what Paul says. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We are seeing the authority of the Apostle Paul here. And what he's saying is that I didn't hear the good news of Jesus from another man who had seen Jesus. No, I received it directly from Jesus himself. Right, he's, he's solidifying his authority to speak in this way. So now he says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, now what do you think about when you think the word saints? You think the word saint, what do you think about? A lot of people kind of think about a, a very traditional Catholic background. Uh, you know, you got St. Peter, you got St. John, you got St. Paul. Uh, anytime they refer to these people, they, they refer to them as saints, such and such. Um, some people think about a person who is just a really good person. They're, they're a holy person. You look at them and you think, that's just a good person. Uh, I'll be honest with you, for a long time I heard the word saint and just thought old person. And that's, that's all I thought. And maybe you're along with me in that, but an older, an older person. Um, well, that's not at all what is being talked about here. That's not a, that's not a saint. Um, I, I was thinking about, um, it's just an example of, of kind of how our minds take us places. Uh, when I was thinking about this idea of saint this week, I thought about our time in Israel back in January. And we went to all kinds of historic places, and they were very beautiful, very ornate. And oftentimes there's statues of early church fathers like Peter, and it always had saint in front of their names. And it's almost like uh, it, it could be viewed as these people are a part of an exclusive club that only a few people can get into. But that's not the case at all. In fact, we firmly believe that the saints that Paul's talking about here is anyone who has professed faith in Jesus. It's anyone who has professed faith in Jesus. So all believers are known as saints. Congratulations, today you just found out that you are a saint. And your spouse probably disagrees with you, but it's all right. Folks, if we have professed faith in Jesus alone as the source of salvation, as the way to God, the only way to God, then we are saints. Now, I think sometimes we have a lot of trouble with this idea just because uh, we don't see ourselves as saints. Oftentimes, we see ourselves through the lens more of what we do wrong that rather than what we do right or, or, or how holy we are or how right we are. We see ourselves through, here's what I've done wrong. Now, if you go back to the Greek, which is the original language in which the book of Ephesians was written, the word hagiazo is the word that is used there for saints. It means set apart as holy. That means that Paul is, is referring to a person who is set apart as holy by God. That means when God looks on that person, he doesn't see the sin in their lives. He sees the righteousness of Jesus in them. That's what Paul's referring to here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 talks about this idea where Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Folks, a saint is a follower of Jesus who is viewed by God as holy and who is no longer a part of this world. They're a part of the kingdom of God. Now listen, as saints, we still live in this world. And the reality is that we still sin. You don't believe me? I just sinned this last week. (laughs) You did too in some way. We still sin. But when God looks on us, he doesn't see our sin as as saints. He sees us as holy. He sees the righteousness of Jesus in us. That's a pretty cool thing. Now, I want to be honest here for just a minute. How many of us uh, walk around telling people that you're a saint? Hey, I'm a saint. (laughs) I'm Saint Kivet. We don't do that, do we? We'll probably be laughed at if we did. But let's take that a a step further. Um, How many believers walk through life not truly understanding that they are saints? They walk all through life not understanding the status that they've been given as followers of Jesus. And they beat themselves up over and over again just because they they can't seem to get life right. And oftentimes they never know or they've forgotten to let God be the defining voice in their life. And what is it that God has said? Right? He, He has said, you are a saint. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are a saint. He is the defining voice at that point. He has called us saints. That's who we are. I think it's about time for us as believers to, to realize who we are in Christ, that he has looked on us and he has called us saints. If you look on down, um, you see there, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And are faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints are faithful. They're known for their faithfulness. We've all seen people who say that they're followers of Jesus, but they fall away after a while. And that's not to say that they were never believers to begin with, but one of the proofs of a changed life is faithfulness. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to what he deems important. That's one of the proofs of salvation. All right, so that's the saints. We talked about the saints for a few minutes. It's going to come up more in our, in our series here. But let's talk now for just a couple of moments about grace and peace. That's verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always begins his letters by wishing grace and peace upon the churches that he's writing to. Now, grace and peace are two things that every believer can always have. Always. In fact, there's no end to grace and peace. They're always there. They're always available. Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. So um, we have God's favor, uh, but we don't deserve it. We have God's love, but we don't deserve that. We have God's power, but we don't deserve his power. We have God's blessing, but we don't deserve his blessings. James chapter 4, verse 6 reminds us that God's grace is never ending, that he's always giving it out. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that God is full of grace. He will never run out. And if you continue reading John chapter 1, you get to verse 16, and we read, and from his fullness, in other words, from God's nature and simply from whom he is, we have all received grace upon grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says that God is able to make all grace abound to you, talking to believers. Folks, grace is something that a believer will always have, always. And it comes just simply through the abundant love and the blessings from God. It's never going to run out, ever. It will never stop. 
That's who our God is. He is a gracious God. The other thing that Paul wishes upon the church there in Ephesus is peace. Peace. You say, well, what, what, is, what truly is peace? We've got all kinds of definitions of peace in our world today, don't we? At its core, peace is freedom from anxiety. Peace is freedom from fear. Peace is freedom from worry. At its core, that's what it is. Peace is the sense of security and the trust that we can have in God. That's ultimate peace. The reality is that the sin nature that we are born into separates us from God, and it causes hostility with God. When we get into chapter 2, Paul's going to talk about this hostility. But as believers, we are no longer under the wrath of God. We've got peace with God through Jesus. I think about Isaiah, even hundreds of years before Jesus is born, he's, he's, he's prophesying about the Messiah coming, and he calls Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a gift of God. It's given to the saints. Even though there's turmoil all around us, we know that we have peace where it matters the most. It matters the most with our Creator, with God. Now, you might be here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you're thinking, you know what? I'd really like to have the kind of peace that he's talking about there. I'd really like to, to be one of those saints. I'd really like to have that grace that is lavished on me. And the cool thing is that you can have it. In fact, Jesus promised lasting, fulfilling peace to anyone who followed him. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 27, here's what Jesus says. It's right before he leaves this earth, okay? He says, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, the reality is the world gives us a temporary, even artificial peace. The peace that Jesus gives is eternal. It's the real deal. It's ultimate peace. And peace is available to you if you just accept the fact that Jesus is your Savior and you repent of your sin. That means you, you turn away from your sin. That's how you become a saint in the eyes of God. And that's how you, you have the grace lavished on you. That's how you have eternal peace. All right, so then the result of being in a relationship with God is that you are a saint, is that you have that grace and that peace, but it also means that you are in Christ. You are in Christ. That's the last little principle that I want for us to wrap our minds around today, okay? Verse 2, you find the words, in Christ Jesus. That's a theme that we're going to see all throughout this book. Paul's going to talk many times about being in Christ. But what in the world does in Christ mean? I mean, you're trying to wrap your mind around, okay, in Christ? What are we talking about here? And how can we practically understand that concept? And I want to attempt to explain it, okay? We cannot live the Christian life, which, by the way, the Christian life is a supernatural life. It's not a natural one. We cannot live the Christian life, a supernatural life, in the natural. We don't have the strength for it. We don't have the, we don't have the ability, the power for it. So something or someone has got to fill us with the power and the ability to live the Christian life. 
W.A. Criswell was preaching about this topic one time, and he said this. He said, the Christian life is lived first, is, is lived first in Christ. We do not use that expression anymore. It's strange to us. We hardly know what it means. That is because we are materialistic in all of our outlook on life. If I go up to a man and ask him, are you in business? He knows immediately what I am talking about, and he will answer in kind. If I go up to a man and ask him, are you in one of the professions? He will know immediately what I'm saying. But if I come up to a man and ask him, are you in Christ? He will be mystified and possibly embarrassed. That's the difference between us and these first century Christians. They lived with that language, and to them it was most familiar. He concludes with this. He says, in Christ meant to be girded and grounded in him and in his faithfulness. As a vine is anchored to the bosom of the earth from which it received its strength and life. Folks, when we are in Christ, we are tapped into his power and into his strength and into his ability to make up for our inability to live this life that he's called us to live. Now, here's a statement that you're going to want to remember, and if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this statement down, okay? Here it is. When you are in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. When you are in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. Now, I want to, I want to share an illustration see if I can explain kind of what this, what this means, what this looks like. Um, I want you to imagine with me that this red glove is you, all right? This red glove is, is you. This is, this is you as an individual believer, all right? Now, um, you have a purpose in life. You've got a very distinct purpose that's given to you by God in life. And let's just say, just for sake of illustration, this glove in this moment is supposed to pick up this bag. So I lay it on the, on the stool here beside the bag, and I say, okay, glove, pick up this bag. <laughs> Nothing's happening. <laughs> Nothing at all is happening. Okay, so, so maybe what this glove needs is a little bit of motivation. So I'm going to give it a motivational speech, all right? Hey, glove, um, you have a job here to pick up this bag, and I know that you can pick it up. I know that you can do it. So, so just go ahead and pick up the bag, and nothing ever happens, Right? That motivational speech wasn't very good, was it? All right, so let's try something else. Um, I bet this glove needs some training. It needs some discipleship. Hey, glove, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through what it looks like for you to pick up this bag, okay? Here's what you do. You, you come and you take the thumb part and the fingers part and you put them around this string and then you go up and you lift it up, all right? Now you do it. Nothing, right? All right, glove. I've given you um, motivation. I've given you training. What else do you need? Oh, I know what you need. How about some fellowship? There's some more gloves to help you pick up this bag, all right? They're there for the purpose of giving you uh, camaraderie to pick up this bag. Still nothing. All right, so at this point, um, you are refusing to pick up this bag, and so I'm going to discipline you. You know, man, you bad glove. Beat you again. Bad glove. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. 
Does that glove truly have the ability to pick that bag up? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Now I want you to think here for just a moment, okay? Think for just a moment about our lives as believers. Oftentimes we think that if we have the, enough motivation, and if we think that if we have enough discipleship, and we think that if we have enough camaraderie, and we think if we have enough discipline, then we can live out the supernatural Christian life the way that we're supposed to live it out. But we're missing a vital component. You see, there's something else that's supposed to be a part of the picture. Something else that's supposed to be the driving force for us. Because in ourselves, we don't have the ability to be supernatural be beings. Something else has got to come along, come inside of us, and be the strength to easily pick up the bag. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Guys, listen, we're going to study a whole lot about in Christ in this book of Ephesians. And it has the potential of revolutionizing the way that we look at our Christian life. Because oftentimes, so many times, I find myself trying my best to live this supernatural life, and I can't do it. I can't stay away from the sin. I can't always say the right thing. I can't always be intentional with, with my surroundings to think about who needs Jesus. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And all along, <laughs> Jesus is going, hey, listen, let me work in you. And you got this when I'm working in you. I'm missing the source of the power. As we talk about in Christ through this book, I want for us to never forget this. Are we trying to operate as a flimsy little glove here that has a purpose but it's not fulfilling its purpose? Or are we operating through the strength, the power of in Christ? That's what you, I want you to take away from today. Think about that. Then we'll come back to next week and continue our study here. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we embark on this, Father, we want to understand what it means to be in Christ. Father, to live our lives as saints, holy, blameless before you, that even though we still sin and even though we still mess up, that God, when you look on us, you don't see our sin, you see the righteousness of Jesus in us. That Father, every single day we have abundant grace that is offered to us. We have your favor, we have your love, we have your blessings, we have your power, and it's offered to us. The Father, we have your peace, a peace that transcends all understanding, that's going to guard our minds and our hearts. But Father, we know that oftentimes we miss out because we don't tap into the reality, the beauty of in Christ. So Father, help us to wrestle with that to understand what it means, and then, Father, to, to move through life in such a way where you are the one 
that is providing the power. You are the one that's at work. And we are just gloves on your hand doing as you see fit in this world. Father, thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.